We're in Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 27. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word, that all may know the Most High rules. Now, usually we read every verse that goes in here, and I will cover every verse, and I will read every verse as we go through the teaching, but for time's sake, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his domain is from generation to generation. Verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, as you know, the theme of Daniel, every book has a theme. Well, the theme of Daniel is God's sovereignty over nations, over rulers, and over each one of our lives. God is in control. God rules. Where we have been in the book of Daniel, just a quick review in chapter 1. Nebuchadnezzar is introduced to Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are separated from all the other crew that has come into into Babylon from Israel. There were 50 to 75 choice young men that went into, into Babylon. These four guys decided they would not partake of the king's delicacies. They would stick with their God, and they would follow the rules that they were under on the Old Testament eating rules that they had. And so they were head and shoulders above all that were in the kingdoms. In 120, we say this, he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians, astrologers who were in the reign. All wisdom of Babylon could not compete with these four young men who decided they're going to stand and serve God. Remember, the point of that whole thing is that we must determine ahead of time how we're going to conduct ourselves in this culture. You can't wait until the last second. You have to determine ahead of time. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar learns that Daniel's God is all-wise and all-powerful, and he sees a statue. He has a dream about a statue. Remember the statue. Is a, is, is a gold head representing Babylon, chest and, and arms of silver, bronze, iron legs. These all represented kingdoms that would be coming, and none of those kingdoms were even thought about at the time that that dream came, and that statue came into, into Nebuchadnezzar's mind. None of them came to be. And what is God doing? He's showing us a peak of the future of what's going to happen, that God, remember, Christianity is the only religion that has fulfilled prophecy, and each one of these things was fulfilled on time. It was Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Then there's a ten-nation confederation that's coming that is right on the horizon. And if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I put a map up on the screen where the United Nation has already separated the world into ten divisions, which would very much, not only it's going to be the same divisions as we're going to see and actually play out. But we know they came up with 10, just like Scripture said. They didn't come up with 9, they didn't come up with 12, they came up with 10. Just kind of coincidental, wasn't it? So Nebuchadnezzar is introduced to the God, and he has this dream, and his, he calls on his wise magicians, his astrologers, to interpret the dream. And they cannot interpret the dream, and then Daniel comes forth, and he interprets the dream and tells Nebuchadnezzar what it's going to be. And that we know that there is a stone that comes out in Daniel chapter 2, verse 35, that struck the image, all these world kingdoms, and they are like chaff blown away. And that stone is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ will establish his kingdom on this earth. We call it the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, where he shall reign, how long? Forever and ever. There will be no more human kingdoms, no more corrupt governments. Our Jesus will reign a thousand years, and then we go into eternity. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar learns that God is not only wise and omniscient, knowing all things, but he is also all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He is the omnipotent God who delivers Shadrach and Meshach from the burning, fiery furnace. Remember, probably a decade or so later, there's a, a lapse of time. He has a statue that he erects of himself, all gold. Not the kingdoms, he wants it all gold, all reflecting him. No future kingdoms, just reflecting him. And that everybody, when those instruments start to play, everybody must bow. And these three guys stood tall. Remember, we had the picture up there, all these people bowing. 
and somebody trying to pull these guys down and say, hey, bow, bow, or you're going to die. Bow. And they would not bow. They would not budge. They stood for the, our Lord. Or they, they stood for God. And they said these words to Nebuchadnezzar right to his face when he says, you're going to be thrown into that fiery furnace. But if not, O king, let it be known that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you have set up. Those guys stood tall. They stood tall against this king who demanded idol worship, and they would not do it. In chapter 4 that we're going to be in today, God knows how to deal with pride. That's the whole focus of this thing. He knows how to deal with pride. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn something that every one of us must learn on this pilgrimage called our life, that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. So many times people go through their life thinking, I rule. I reign. I'm in charge. I'm in control of my destiny. And to those people, I say, oh, really? Oh, really? Well, look and see, because we know in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 11, that there will be a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow. Nebuchadnezzar in this chapter is going to be radically changed. He's going to be changed from a prideful king to a believer in the true God. God will get his attention. To all who think that they are in charge, I would ask you to think again. You are not in charge of your life. This week that all may know that the Most High God reigns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you that you've given us this word as a roadmap to our lives. May we study it. May we believe it. May we put its teachings into action. Not just be hearers, but doers of the word. Oh, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds today and speak to us truths from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a little bit of an introduction very quickly. Nebuchadnezzar is simply learning what we all must learn, that God reigns and he rules in our heart. He is in charge. I just want to give you a couple scriptures, just a couple scriptures to think about. Now remember, all men are worshipers. All humans will worship something, even if it's themselves. All human, mankind are worshipers. Every culture on earth has their gods, but folks, there is only one high God, most high God, who reigns over everything, not the false gods. So, for the Lord most high, Psalm 47, 2, for the Lord most high is to be feared. You don't hear that very often today, do you? The Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Who's in charge of all the earth? God, and he is to be feared. Now, what has happened in America with the fear of God? The fear of God has been taken out of the culture and replaced with a little bitty God, the God of the genie God, I call him, the give-me-that-thing God. He's the give-me-that-thing God that is not the true God. That is not the true God. America has lost the fear of God. In Psalm 91.1, we see this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Remember that word, dwells, make your home in the shelter of the Most High. Will abide, make their home in the shadow of the Almighty. It says in Psalm 83.18 that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. And in our text today in Daniel 4.17, we see this. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. We'll learn more about them momentarily. And the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men, Nebuchadnezzar, the lowliest of men. Remember, God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Never think that you're too smart. Never think that you're too smart. So in verses 1 through 3, the Most High God reigns. This is going to be Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony, and he actually writes Scripture. He pens verses 1 through 18 and 34 through 36. This is Nebuchadnezzar writing. This is very unique. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. 
Nebuchadnezzar to a conquered world that in my life, I'm telling you, everybody in this kingdom, that I, this world that I conquered, the most high God reigns. He rules. I don't rule. He finally learns this by the end. We'll see that next week. But he is going to learn that the most high God rules. Not Neb. Not Neb. Now, in your world today, we must learn, again, that the Most High rules in our lives. In our lives. And not to fret. Now, we have all kinds of news that is coming at us 24-7. There's plenty to worry about. There's plenty to worry about on this side of the world. Oh, it's happening on this side of the world. And by the way, the economy's crashing. Okay, there can be a little bit of a panic attack. Don't fret. God is in control. Just think. Now, now be glad of this. President Trump is not in control. He's not in control. The China ruler, whatever he is, Zizu, he is not in control. Putin is not in control. And thankfully, the North Korean dictator, Kim, he is not in control. He thinks he's in control. He's not in control. And the Iran Ayatollahs are not in control. Nebuchadnezzar is learning what the L in the world have to learn is that God is in control. And he's going to give his personal testimony of his life. And by the way, each one of us has a personal testimony. He's telling everyone through the epochs of time his personal testimony. More on that in just a few minutes about our personal testimony. In verse 2, we see that he does signs and wonders. He point, and remember, signs and wonders have a purpose. They point people to God. It isn't for entertainment. It isn't for drama. It is pointing people to the Most High God. That's why there are signs and wonders. It's not an exhibition. So Nebuchadnezzar is learning this. And Nebuchadnezzar is giving God top billing over the pantheon of gods in Babylon. The God of Israel, Jehovah, we call him Yahweh. He is God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He reigns. He reigns. Harry Ironside says this, that God is dealing with a proud, self-willed man that will bring repentance to his heart, the God of all grace is revealing himself to him, and he's going to do a divine work in Nebuchadnezzar, but it is not until Nebuchadnezzar reached the pit of his life. And he grazes like an animal. We will see this in just a few minutes. Everyone that God touches, folks, everyone that comes into the family of God, it's his miracle of salvation. God saved you. God went looking for you. You did not look for him, by the way. He looked for you. He softened your heart. He opened your eyes. He gave the ability to believe and receive the gift of salvation. It was his work inside of you. You just simply believed that everyone that Jesus saved has a testimony to be shared. It's not keeping it to yourself. This is an outward thing that we share with people that the world may know that the Most High God rules. Now, Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, can you say that in the culture that you live in? Because there are many people that espouse the name of the Lord Jesus, but are ashamed to present his name in the venue that they are living in. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then, then to the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just or the righteous shall live by faith. The world wants you folks ashamed. You are, you are inundated with information that is to make you ashamed of this gospel, that you're ignorant, that you're stupid, that you're intolerant that you are a bunch of bigots. They want you silenced in your corner with no impact, withdrawn and fearful to share the good news of the Lord Jesus. And to that we say, no way. We have the words of truth. We have the words of life. We are to go and tell. Remember Jesus in the Great Commission. This, this is not a suggestion. This is an imperative in the Greek. Go into the world. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing the man of the Father, Son. We are to go and to share the good news. This is not an option that we have. There should be nobody in here that, somebody, that, that people you work with doesn't know that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. We should never be one of these things, oh, you're a Christian. Really? 
In other words, you better be acting like what you're talking. Know this, that you are on the winning team. In verse 3, we see that Jesus' kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting dominion kingdom from generation to generation. No more human rulers. And Revelation chapter 11 says this, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign, how long? Forever. Forever, that's right. Isaiah 9, 7, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. When Jesus establishes his kingdom, folks, that is it. That is it. And guess what? Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, guess who reigns with Jesus? What a deal. He does everything. We just say, yes, Jesus, and receive the gift of salvation, and we will reign with him as kings and priests, it says. And God has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's his millennial kingdom. The Most High reigns, folks. Most High reigns. And remember, that would be a good place to say amen. Amen. The Most High reigns. All the mess that you see around you is by man having his way. Jesus is going to come to earth and make everything right. And I can tell you, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Verses 4 through 18, the Most High God reigns. We're going to have Nebuchadnezzar describe his dream. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Notice how God is going to make an intervention when everything is going great and wonderful. He's going to come into Nebuchadnezzar's life. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my bed and visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring, to all, bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream. That's kind of interesting. He's calling on these guys again who couldn't do it the first time. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar. According to the name of my God, he still does not a believer in, in Jehovah God, in him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because, because I know that the, the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen in its interpretation. There were visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and the height reached the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed by it. Look at it, it was a prosperous kingdom. It was a powerful kingdom. It was a huge kingdom. And then he saw this. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed that there was a watcher. A watcher. A holy one coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud to me. Now that is a loud voice in this dream, shaking Nebuchadnezzar. And this loud voice bellows out, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. I'm not going to go over this a whole lot, but those seven times, I believe, are seven years. In Revelation chapter 12, 14, it talks about times. Daniel 12, 7, times. Daniel 7, 25, times. These are years, years. The decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. That's the key. Gives it to whomever he will and sets over the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Now that's a lot of verses, isn't it? 
Life for Nebuchadnezzar was going great. In his first dream, it was troubling. And remember that word troubling, it was make your knees shake, make you a little bit uncomfortable. But this dream made him afraid. The word is dekel. It means to be timid, to crawl away with a timid demeanor. This is not something that Nebuchadnezzar was in the habit of doing. It was, in essence, to cower in a corner. The visions of my head troubled me. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's go-to guys, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, all these mystical guys, again, they, they could not interpret the dream. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He does what he did the last time. He called on Daniel. Then Daniel, in verses 8 and 9, he's called the chief of the magicians, comes to the rescue, and he's going to give us the dream in the next section. But before we get to the next section, I want to explain to you just a couple of things. In 10 and 11, we see the hugeness of the kingdom. In verse 12, we see the prosperity of the kingdom. In verse 13, we see what's going to happen. In 14, we see what happens when the watchers come. And in 15, it's going to be what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to be grazing like an animal. But I want to take just a little break here and talk about the watchers for just a second. Because this is an interesting thing. Watchers in the Bible, it's the only used in the book of Daniel. It's only used in the book of Daniel 4, 13, 17, and 23. Now, a watcher simply means an awakening one. One who is constantly alert. These are angels sent by God to do God's bidding, and they are alert, they are watching, and they are in your lives, and they are real, and they are involved with humans today. That is what we want to know about this. Now, the good angels, just in review, a little angelology, study of angels is this. God called the good angels elect angels. Why did he call that in 1 Timothy 5.21? Because they passed their time of testing. Their time of testing. They had to determine. Remember, God has given the ability to choose contrary to him. He gave the angelic realm contrary choice. He gave humans contrary choice. These angels, the good angels, chose to go with God and stick with God. They, they're confirmed in their holiness. Then there are bad angels. We call them fallen angels. Now, why do we say fallen angels or fallen man? Because they did this. They left their created purpose. Humanity, when it fell, left its created purpose to rule and have dominion on the earth as a theocratic as God's theocratic representative on the earth. They fell from that position and sided with Satan. So these are demons. They failed their time of testing. They chose contrary to God, and they sided with Satan. And one-third of the angelic realm was involved in this rebellion. One-third. That's how charismatic Satan is. We see that in Revelation 12.4. But also know this. Humans have their time of testing. It's called your life. This little of time. Life is but a vapor, as they in James. Here for a moment, and then gone. Here for a moment, and then gone. This is your time of testing. And you can choose contrary to God. You can choose contrary to God. Those who, who, who believe and receive the gift of salvation, these are called the elect of God. These are called the elect of God. They are confirmed in their faith. They are confirmed in their faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. By grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift. It is a gift of God, not of works. There's nothing we bring to the table. Not of works, lest any should boast. John 1.12 says that, Yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believe and receive the gift of salvation. Now, a little bit more about angels, their history. They witnessed creation in Job 38.7. They sang as the creation came forward. They brought judgment in Genesis 19.22 on Sodom. But it's interesting, they bring judgment on a guy named Herod, a King Herod, in Acts 12.22 and 23, when Herod is being extolled by all the crowd, and the people are saying, oh, he's like a god, and Herod is just, just drinking it all in, and an angel struck him dead because of his pride, his hubris, and he was eaten by worms. Angels were involved in judgment. Angels accompanied the law. They announced the birth of John and Christ. They strengthened Jesus after his temptation in the wilderness. 
also at Gethsemane. They announced his resurrection. He observed his ascension. And they brought messages. What are angels doing today? What are angels doing today? Well, I believe they protect believers. We see that in Psalm 34.7 and 91.11. They deliver God's answers to prayer. And we're going to see this more and more as we go through the book of Daniel. Angels are involved in bringing answers to prayer. And guess what? They take souls to heaven. When you breathe your last, and you will, that's 100%, isn't it? And that'll be it. We have an angelic transport to the presence of God. We see that in Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And then their involvement in government in Daniel 10 and 11. We're going to see that, that our angels seem to be in charge of different, different areas. There are also bad angels in charge of different areas. There's a conflict going on. And in the future, think about this. One angel, one little lower-rung angel. Now, Satan is the anointed cherub, the highest of all of them. One angel with the exousia of God, with the administrative authority of God, binds Satan and casts him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. This is in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Now, the purpose of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is this, verse 17. In order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And I want you to focus on your life because you are here for a purpose. You are to know that the Most High rules in your life. That's what we need to learn. That's what we must learn. We are not in charge. And he doesn't waste words. And I would ask you, please do not waste your time. Because Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that behold, today is the day of salvation. Do not put it off. You have an appointment with God. Today is the day of salvation. Take care of business. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be dealt with. His pride is going to be dealt with. There can be no pride before the God of heaven, no arrogance on the part of man. God is in charge. Nebuchadnezzar, this is what God has decreed. You are going to feed in the fields like a beast. That has been decreed. It's going to be, that's going to be explained in the next verses. 19 through 27, the Most High God reigns. And I would like to say God is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar here, but he is also speaking to each one of us. The Most High God reigns. Then, Nebu then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the heavens had their home, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion is to the end of the earth. This is directly pertaining to you, Nebuchadnezzar. And as much as the king saw a watcher, the scary guy in the dream, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar's heartbeat at this point? Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. But leave its stump, its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times have passed over. The dude must be getting ready for a panic attack by now. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. The watchers will drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. It's not you being so great, Nebuchadnezzar. God has blessed you. We must realize that. It's God that gives us what we have. Inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you. That would be good news for him. After you come to know that heaven rules, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable, acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Let that resonate. 
Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Perhaps. Perhaps. Daniel explains the dream. The warning is this. For Nebuchadnezzar, is, is for all of us today, God hates pride. He disdains pride. Why? Because that's what the first sin that came into his, into his creation. When Satan rebelled in heaven, in Isaiah 14, it says, I will ascend to the mount of God. I will be like God. I want to be worshipped like God. God hates pride. Proverbs 16, 17 says this, Six things God hates, a seventh are an abomination to him, and the first one is a haughty eye or a proud look. That is pride. He hates it, disdains it. In verse 19, Daniel is reluctant to share this bad news. And he's distressed. Daniel is distressed. A guy named Joseph Parker says this. When you're giving bad news, Daniel isn't all giddy with this bad news for Nebuchadnezzar. He is distressed in his spirit. It's the same way we approach those who are lost. We come with them with a distressed spirit, with, with the spirit saying, this is urgent. This is urgent. It isn't that we're lording it over anybody. We are pleading with them to come, pleading, begging them to come in to the family of God. Watch what Parker says here. It was like a blow struck upon the very center of his forehead. When he saw what was going to befall the king, he was struck. It's the same thing when we see people have turned from God. As it were, with a spear of lightning, his voice altered as, as did the fashion of his countenance. He had a message to deliver. Folks, we have a message. And yet he delivered it with tears. And they were hidden in the tone of his voice. He was not flippant. He was solemn. And he was with an ineffable solemnity. Never was he in such a position before. Folks, that's how we approach people. We approach them in a way with the words of life that only come through Jesus Christ. We cannot give them any other message. We're not coming in any type of pride or arrogance or, or I'm better than you or anything like that. We're coming quite frankly. We're coming as just fellow strugglers pleading with people to come to the Savior. Pleading with people. Verse 20 and 22, the tree is you, Nebuchadnezzar. And remember this, God will cut you down to size. He's dealing with Nebuchadnezzar. There's a picture here that Andy Woods has in his teaching. And this is a watcher chopping down the tree. And all this guy's life, all this arrogance and pride of what I built in Babylon, look what I have done. You'll see that in the next lesson. And what is left of this is the stump. And, but a stump gives a new beginning. Folks, we have to get rid of us before we get the new man fully dedicated to our God. The watchers. God will go to extremes, all the extremes necessary to change your course. He will get your attention. Old Nebuchadnezzar must die to self just like we must die to ourselves, my will and my way. In 23 through 25, the tree will be chopped down and destroyed. God will go to extremes. He's going to be driven from men, and he's going to look like an animal. He'll have an animalistic existence. Remember, any time you get away from God, who is the stability in your life, you become more and more animalistic, more and more animalistic. There's a picture that's, that, that a guy has here. His name is William Blake. He gives a picture of a prideful king and what he may have looked like. Now, can you imagine? This is awful. Toenails growing, hair out of control. This guy is in the wilderness. This is his depiction of what it is like when you turn away from the living God. Just a picture of what it might have been like. What a tragedy. Psalm 49.12 says this, A man in all of his pomp, in all of his arrogance, will not endure. He is like the beast that perish. Verse 26, the stump is left, the promise of a restored life. The new man emerges after the old man dies. The new man emerges. The goal in your life is a new you who worships, serves, 
and honors the Most High God. That's the goal. That's the whole goal of life, that we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, experience the joy of being in relationship and fellowship with him, and we worship and serve and honor him with our lives. Notice this. When is Nebuchadnezzar's life restored? After you have come to know that heaven rules when you realize you're not in charge. Nebuchadnezzar is having what is called a wilderness experience. Remember what A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful that God can use anyone greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Humans seem to learn in the valley of suffering. And if you examine your life, you are probably there when you learn the most. But God is gracious. God is gracious. Harry Ironside tells a story about a heathen chieftain. If you have checked out up to this point, it is time to check in. Check in, because this is, this is significant. He says this, A story is told of a heathen chieftain who came from his distant domain to visit Queen Victoria. One day he asked her if she would tell him the secret of England's progress and greatness. In response, it is said, the queen presented him with a Bible saying, this book will tell you. Who can doubt that according to the measure in which that book of books has been believed, loved by any people, God has honored them. God has honored them. And every nation that has welcomed and protected the gospel has been cared for and blessed in a special way. Now, you have seen this. This is history. You have seen this played out throughout the world. On the other hand, let there be a national rejection of his word. What are we seeing today with the word of God in America? A national rejection of his word. And you will find disaster following disaster. Look how things have changed in your lifetime. I'm astounded how things have changed in my lifetime. I don't feel like I'm old. I don't. I don't. But I have seen so much moral change in my short life. It is phenomenal. It is phenomenal, and so have you. Disaster after disaster follows. He who cannot lie has said, them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I have a picture here. This is called the 1040 window. And I want you to realize that in this window are five to six billion people. Okay? The religions in this window, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of them do not recognize the true God. All of them live in poverty. All of them live with struggles and disease. This is the missionary target area of earth. Now, look, we have turned away from the living God. The whole continent. South America, there's some areas of revival. But here, United States and Canada, Canada's ahead of us on the curve. But we have turned away from the living God. And you don't think that disaster upon disaster isn't because we have turned from the living God. I will submit to you that it is. No matter what our culture or world may say, no matter what they say, we must never, ever relent on the true God reigns. The true God reigns. Just very quickly, please don't miss this key point. Daniel cared enough to confront the most powerful man on earth. He cared enough. His message was not popular. He may, have been, he, he may have been labeled at that time by all the other astrologers and Chaldeans and that sort of thing as judgmental or intolerant or bigoted or narrow-minded. You, are you familiar with those words at all? Because that's what people think we are. Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. Followers of the Most High God are certainly viewed this way today. A cry exudes from our culture, compromise. Can't you just compromise? Can't you just bend? Can't you just embrace a little bit some of these other worlds? Can't you just bow a little bit? Don't be so rigid. Don't be so foolish. Don't be so ignorant. You're just ignorant Christians. Daniel's advice and Nebuchadnezzar will serve us well today. 
that the world may know that the true God reigns. Our advice to America and my advice to each one of us today is the following. Just put your name in this spot. Verse 27. To America, to the church, to you as an individual, O King, O America, O you as a person, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Hear what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. See, we have this information. And if you have information, you are more responsible. God is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar and is speaking loud and clear to each one of us today. Conclusion. Conclusion. Everybody smiles. Yes, yes, that all may know that the Most High God reigns. Folks, you know this. We are living in an epoch of time when nations and people are abandoning the Most High God at an astounding rate, and I just went through it in my prelude, that Christians today are abandoning the faith more, I think, than at any other time in the history of this country. They have more negative inputs, and they're falling for the lies, are being seduced by the gods of our time. These gods we are called zeitgeist. Zeitgeist. What is a zeitgeist? It is defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history as shown by the ideas and beliefs of that time. Now, what is the beliefs of our time? Humanism has crept into our time where man rules. The occult, we're seeing a rise in the occult. We are seeing an increase in ignoring God, and we're seeing an increase of something called syncretism. Syncretism, a blending together of all religions because we're all on the same path. You can choose your Hindu path, your Buddha path, your Islam path, or you can choose Christ, but yet we're all on the same path. Coexist, that's a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Do not fall for that. Jesus was very, very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except He did not stutter. He said, I am the way. That is it. So, what are we seeing today? There has never been a time in America like today. The defining spirit or mood of our land has changed. It's changing right for you and young people. You are seeing a change right before your eyes. And we're plummeting into darkness. Remember what Queen Victoria told the Indian chief. Any nation that welcomed the word of God was protected and prospered, but if they rejected it, it was disaster following disaster. That is what we're seeing more and more. What has changed? The Most High God has been removed from the mainstream of life and replaced with a plethora of little bitty gods of this age. Little bitty gods of this age. Now, what did God say at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1? One man, in chapter 2, one man, one wife for life. Better or worse, sicknesses and health. You go through this thing together. Not until I'm tired of you or bored with you or sick of you or we've fallen out of love or what all, all the stuff that people bring to the table. No, that is a spirit of the age. How about same-sex marriage? Which, by the way, is not marriage at all. Because marriage is ordained by God, and that is not ordained by God. That is a spirit of the age. And you know what has happened with this attack on the family? Children. Children have been the, the, the disastrous byproduct of this. Chaos in families. No parental guidance. You know what's raising kids today? In many homes, it is not the parents raising the kids. It's the video games. Stick them in front of the video games. And I would encourage you... You know, technology is fine. Monitor the amount of time your kids are on the technology. Monitor it. Monitor it. Man's and women's roles are, have changed in this culture. Syncretism, all religions lead to God. That's a spirit of the age. Christian apathy is a zeitgeist. A zeitgeist. People believe today 
This is happening more and more, and I bet you have friends that you can identify with this, that they're getting their church from TV or the Internet or the church of canoeing because I can really relate to God in my canoe. Or I am the church of McDonald's, or I am the church of the golf course, and I have no problem with golf, but you got to have things in order. Have it all in order. That is the spirit of the age. Why is that a problem? Because the scripture says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The scripture says that each one of us has a gift to use within the body to elevate or to lift up the body of Christ. You cannot do that in your church canoe. You cannot do that watching some cool guy on TV. Now, those things are fine as supplements. They're fine as supplements, but it does not replace body life. Folks, we need one another. We need one. But it's happened more. Now, you know people that have done this. You know people that have done this. How about the radical LBGT zeitgeist? That's a spirit of the age. Abortion up to birth. Up to birth. And if it doesn't work, they want to kill them after they're born. I mean, what a spirit of the age we're living in. Disaster after disaster. And it's come upon us. How about a lukewarm, program-oriented church? All about me, church. Give me the program I want, or I'm going to the next one that has more programs. I don't want to have a whole lot of Bible. Don't give me a whole lot of Bible. I don't want 40 minutes of teaching. Oh, no, keep it to 10. Entertain me. And by the way, I want, I want lights, action, camera, roll them. And when I walk out of that church, I want to feel skippity-doo-dad-skippity-day. I have been to a show. That is the spirit of the age today. Is that an amen? amen. Are you seeing this? I'm seeing this. I'm seeing it. Program-oriented. Folks, a word to America, a word to the church, a word to us today, verse 27, break off your sins. Perhaps there will be a lengthening of your prosperity. What does God want from Nebuchadnezzar? What does God want from America? What does God want from me? A repentant heart, a heart that is directed towards him. Remember, repentance is just turn to him, all out towards him, sprint towards him. Leave the world behind. I am following Jesus. I have decided I will follow Jesus. There can be no competitors. Hezekiah prayed. He was given 15 more years of life. Jonah reluctantly went to Nineveh because there was great revival in Nineveh. God desires repentance and restoration. Hear this. God desires in each heart repentance and restoration over punishment. It is not God's heart to punish humans. He doesn't want to do that. He reluctantly does that. That is not his heart. Turn with me really quick. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 21. Now, your Bible might flop over to that because we've been here like 3,000 times, but this would be 3,001. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 21. This is God telling, pleading with the nation of Israel, turn and live, turn and live, turn and live. We must learn from this. Turn and live. Verse 21. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die, and look at, listen to this verse, verse 22. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Remember that. Remember when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as far as the east is from the west, he's taken your sins from you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they are as white as snow. Remember that. That's a good thing to remember. You don't have to live with guilt. Because of the righteousness thing he has done, he shall live. And then this verse this is the key verse. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. He's crying out. Verse 30, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that the iniquity will, will not be your ruin. 
He wants people to turn. He's pleading with people to turn. Finish it with verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Turn and live. That is the cry of God. That is the cry of God to every Hindu, every Muslim, every Buddhist, every atheist, everyone that is in rebellion against him. Turn and live. Turn and live. Hear what Nebuchadnezzar has learned about the Most High God and what each of us must learn on this brief thing called our life. What he learned, hopefully we do too. Verse 37, we will cover this more next week. But now I, Nebuchadnezzar, put your name there. Put your name there. I, Rick, or I, whoever you are. I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth in his ways, justice. And those who walk in pride, by the way, he is able to put down. Hey, just bow. Bow before our God. Daniel's emphasis is this. God can humble any man or any woman that all may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Next week, God will deal with an unrepentant heart, an unrepentant Nebuchadnezzar. But oh, by the end of it, he will know the true God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the book of Daniel. Thank you for what it teaches us about your character what you desire from us. And Lord, I pray right now that anybody here that is still dabbling in things that they shouldn't be dabbling in would say, I am sorry, Lord, I repent, I am turning to you, and I'm getting rid of that stuff. For those who do not know you as their Savior, maybe they've been playing like a Christian. Maybe they've been pretending they're in the family of God. If they are not in the family of God, convict them right now, Holy Spirit. Do your work in their hearts, and I pray that they will say yes to the Lord Jesus. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and received the gift of salvation. That's all that's necessary. Turn to, commit yourself to, follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that happens today for somebody here. Lord, may we be serious about our lives. We're living in a culture that is running from God, and we're seeing the results of that, disaster after disaster. And Lord, I want to just take a moment here. I just want to take a moment here because our youth have been so impacted. Lord, I'm just believing you to work in the hearts and the minds of our young people. When they go off to school, Lord, I pray that you'll give them teachers that will teach them the truth. I will pray that you'll give them a foundation that they can stand on to survive the things that are coming in their school systems. And I pray for Christian school teachers, Lord, to be able to be wise and dealing with those young people. Teach them the truth about who Jesus is. You know, it's an awful environment to be in. Strengthen our teachers, Lord. Strengthen our kids. May they not be brainwashed. May they not fall for the indoctrination tactics of this culture. And may they be built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, never wavering in their faith. Lord, we ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen.